Welcome to Built Modular, a Vanguard Modular podcast. We'll help you discover just how flexible modular construction has become and how it is helping make life better for real people facing real space challenges. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Built Modular, a Vanguard Modular podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the show. Make sure that as you're listening along, you're subscribing to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure you're going to our website at vanguardmodular.com. Again, vanguardmodular.com for more information about our solutions and services and how you can get in touch. And of course, listening to more episodes of the podcast and consuming some more Vanguard Modular content. So on today's episode of the show, we're wanting to give potential modular building customers out there the tools that they need to best prepare for a modular project of their own. On the podcast, we've broken down the benefits of modular construction, which industries are benefiting the most, all useful. But today, we're doing a full walkthrough of the modular building construction process. Where does it start? Where does it end? And what do you need to do to stay ahead of the process? So for insights, we're joined by Jody Werner, Senior Vice President of Sales, and Paul Lubertine, Director of Construction and Contract Services, both with Vanguard Modular. Jody, Paul, great to have you both on. How are y'all doing? Doing great, Daniel. Good morning. Very well, Daniel. Thank you. It's great to be here this morning with you and with Jody on, on this panel discussion. Yeah, real pleasure getting both of your insights today on the show. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it and better understand what the construction process looks like for a modular building and why it looks the way it does. So to start, I want to just put an emphasis on why we're having this conversation in the first place. So can you both explain why you think it's important for the client or the end user to have an accurate expectation of the process, its timing, and its workflows when dealing with the construction of a modular building? It's important for our customers to have an understanding just so that, you know, they know what to expect coming into the process. There are certain elements of the process that are fall on the customer, uh, such as site engineering and, and other things. And there are certain things that, uh, that we as the modular manufacturer take on our end. So, so hopefully this discussion will help help bring some light to that uh, so that customers can, can be better prepared for projects in the future. Yeah, I would I would add that you know many of these projects are, are time sensitive. Uh, if you look at the the education projects, normally the buildings have to be in uh, no later than August, uh, since the kids start coming back to school in in August and September. The other piece is uh, financing. A lot of times the the projects are funded through through grants, through private financing. Uh, there's timelines in, involved with that. You, you also get down to you know, permits. Permits are only open for a certain time period once they're issued. So setting the expectations with a, a schedule ties into a, a number of different things uh, as far as the customer is concerned. I know that you've both been involved in this industry for several years now. In that time, how have you seen this process get refined and how has it been refined to benefit the client and the end user? I, I actually, I would say it has has not been refined from a standpoint that 
when Paul and I first got into the industry, and, and Paul's been in a little bit longer than I have, I've, I've got about 25 years, it was a quicker process. Uh, we didn't have the, the regulation that we do today. There wasn't as much site plan approval as far as uh, uh, the steps that the customer had to go through to get their site plan approval. Also, the, uh, the building permit, you know, what it takes in order to uh, pull a building permit. So there's, there's a number of factors that have uh, increased the regulatory timeline. Now, when it comes to the actual flow of construction, you know, our, our biggest holdup typically would be, you know, weather, especially wet weather. And then, of course, um, if there's unforeseen things that we hit as far as under, under the dirt, as far as putting the foundations uh, in, that, that can extend the, uh, the project. And then, of course, you know, customer change orders at the same time can extend the, uh, the project uh, longer than anticipated if they're looking uh, for Vanguard to add more scope to the contract that's already in place. Hey, I would like to add that, uh, Jody, I agree with you, you know, from compared to in the past, the, the regulatory hurdles are more and more cumbersome these days as opposed to um, in the past. But one of the things that has helped us somewhat is the fact that technology has, has speeded things up and made it a little easier to, to do business. You know, in the old days, we used to have uh, blueprints that were stamped and sealed and you know, it was a long process to get those uh, documents back and forth for owner review and, and, and approval. Uh, and today, you can do a lot of that uh, simply by email with electronic files, transferring information. It does really help speed things up and, you know, from that respect. Before we get into the step-by-step process here, where in the construction process do you typically uh, find that customers can get tripped up or misunderstand expectations? You know, really, what are some of the key areas here that are going to be really important to you know, better understand in the process and why? From, from my perspective, being able to, I think it's helpful if we can communicate very clearly what the owner or what the customer's responsibilities are. Typically, well, most projects, there will be a site plan approval process. Even doing a small addition onto an existing building requires an approval of a site plan. Uh, so it's important that, that the customer have that on his side of the, uh, of the fence, that he's got a civil engineer, a civil engineering firm engaged to do the site plan and get it approved. Oftentimes, if it's a, if it's a new construction site, the, the, the process for that site plan review and approval are, are very lengthy. It can take up to a year in some jurisdictions to get a, you know, a relatively small building approved for a new construction project. So, so that is really what I see, you know, customers need to be aware of upfront. Yeah. And I would also say that, you know, many times in the beginning of the process, we, we certainly have uh, uh, customers who understand what our role is, understand what their role is, and treat it as a construction project that's basically, you know, modular construction where it's it's much faster in terms of how quickly we can get the building built along with the parallel path of getting the site work done at the same time. But what also happens to us that doesn't happen, let's say, with normal commercial construction is we have a lot of customers who will oversimplify the process. Uh, we have to be a licensed general contractor when we're performing work. So we have regulations, we have codes that we have to uh, abide by. 
And many people think, hey, we, we can just go ahead and throw this building in there. You know, here are the other things that we want to complete on the project. And in their head, they're thinking 30 days, 60 days, we can get this done quickly. But, you know, in fact, there's things that we have to adhere to from a code standpoint that have oversight from municipalities that have to be signed off on in a plan review process, have to be signed off on by a building inspector out on site. So the biggest challenge we have is, again, communicating to our customers what is going to be required. And I'm sure that y'all would say on your end, the project is much easier, more straightforward, and more efficient for Vanguard when the customer is also informed and on top of these steps. So there's an extra layer of responsibility on Vanguard's end to communicate all these things because it's not just beneficial to the client, but beneficial to y'all as well. Would, would y'all agree? Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the better understanding that the customer and their team have uh, of the process and the timelines, what they're going to be required to do, it's, it's going to help us. It's going to help them. And uh, the big part of it, too, is you have to continue to restate that through the entire process. Uh, and it's not something that you can restate, you know, just verbally because that'll get, you know, basically lost in transmission. You have to put everything in writing to the customer and, you know, literally once you put it in writing again, reinforce it another time because it's amazing how people forget things. <laughs> All right, Paul, Jody, let's go ahead and walk through this process step by step. So as we go through all of these steps, I think it's important to relay for our audience what is expected uh, around the timing of these steps, who is responsible for what, just the basics of how the step is done, and what the benefits are in said step as well as the order of this process. So let's go ahead and jump right in. We'll start with step number one. That's going to be design and engineering. So what should we be thinking about in this step? How should clients uh, frame the initial beginning of the project? And what does a design and engineering process look like to get a modular building off the ground? Okay. Once we have an agreement with our, with our customer, we submit to them a, a customer approval package that typically consists of a, a layout of the building. We also ask for the customer at this point to select all his colors and confirm materials and equipment that will be used in the building. This process normally takes, it depends on the customer and the complexity of the building. This process could simply take a, a day or it could take a few weeks. Once we receive the approval and confirmation of all the color selections and, and approvals for the equipment, we send that off to our manufacturing partner and that is, um, the manufacturer will take that and begin his engineering package. That generally takes anywhere from, from two to four weeks. On a typical project, it could be longer for a more com complex project. Daniel, from, from the sales side, essentially what's been nailed down is the, the floor plan and the specification. So the customer now wants to go ahead and, and order the building. Well, you know, in order to uh, move the process forward to engineering, we're going to have to have a signed contract. It could be an engineering agreement. It could be a sale contract. It could be a lease contract. 
But once that is signed, then we move forward with our manufacturing partner. We have them produce the, the engineer drawings. Uh, the customer does have to sign off on the specifications. They do have to sign off on the drawings. Uh, but we can also order the building at the same time. So again, we're speeding the process up. It's on a parallel path. Uh, we have the, the engineering being done. We have the building scheduled and as far as an online date is concerned, and then of course an offline date when it's completed. And you know, really to Paul's point, the, the drawings can come back in a matter of two weeks if there's not a huge backlog and it's a fairly simple building, but we've also seen times where there has been a backlog that slowed things down, uh, can take up to four weeks, or uh, you may have a very complicated building such as a, a lab and um, the requirements for the HVAC system uh, may be elevated where it takes longer and it could take, you know, six to eight weeks to get those drawings back to the customer. So once they receive the drawings, typically they're in a position where they can go ahead and submit for their building permit as long as they have all the other documentation together that that municipality would need, you know, for the engineering. When it comes to choosing what materials are going to be used to build said modular building. Uh, what's interesting is that modular buildings can be built with steel and concrete in addition to the already more expected or well-known wood frame construction. Can y'all explain uh, how both Vanguard and the client should approach deciding what materials are going to uh, support literally their modular building and why? Yeah, there, there's two pieces to this, and there, there, there's there's certainly the sales side, and then there is the the engineering project management side, which would Paul gets involved in. So, uh, our baseline really is that uh, the buildings are going to be built to their state commercial code, and so there's going to be a minimum standard there as far as the structure is concerned. Think of it this way: you have uh, a car company like. Chevrolet. They will sell you a base model, uh, but you can also go out and you can buy a Cadillac. And the Cadillac is going to have a lot of interior and exterior upgrades. Well, it's no different than our building. So our customers may have expectations of what they want in terms of uh, how they're going to utilize the building, who's going to utilize the building. Certainly that's going to drive the level of specification for the building. Sometimes it can be uh, very simple, code compliant specifications. Uh, the customer does not want anything fancy. Or you could be dealing with a corporate client who uh, has very high expectations in terms of the, the finishes for the floor, the finishes for the exterior, the, uh, the ceiling height, uh, T-grid ceilings, um, you know, all the way to looking at the, the green components of the building, especially in, in uh, federal and state government, local government, where those are mandated and driven now. So uh, everybody's situation is a little bit different, just depending on what the use is going to be and who the organization is. Yeah, Dan Daniel, I'd like to add to that, that certain clients uh, use our buildings for short term and that they lease the buildings from us. In that situation, we typically have, you know, Vanguard has a typical specification package, uh, you know, which is uniform to all our lease fleet. So they, they don't get many choices with respect to that. 
other clients are purchasing a building and they have you know architectural standards that they're trying to meet to match an existing structure or to fit in with something on campus in which case they they select the materials and and we put the you know we put custom custom finishes on the building geared to their use yeah and, and even getting back to uh, uh, the leasing piece that that Paul talks about and there's there's essentially uh, a 90-10 or an 80-20 rule where um, we need the uniformity as far as our lease fleet is concerned. Um, but if we have a client who's willing to pay more money, uh, they're willing to lease the building for a longer term, we will certainly work with them as far as the exterior aesthetics are concerned or the interior aesthetics of the building. But again, that, that's on a case-by-case basis. All right, step two of the process is permitting. Can you walk us through what that process looks like, especially from uh, you know maneuvering any of the legalese of figuring out the permitting for your building? How should clients approach that and what should they uh, be watching out for? Yeah, once we receive our engineered drawings back from our manufacturer, we have this package is ready to submit to the local jurisdiction for a building permit application or for a building permit. The piece that the customer usually supplies with this is the site plan. The permitting process varies from, from town to town, state to state. So it's important for the customer as well as Vanguard to investigate what the requirements are in, in that particular jurisdiction. Typically, you know, minimal requirements are posted on, on the township's website, you know, their, their permitting department website. And other times, you know, pre-COVID, just to go into the building department, speak to the, to the building official and understand what's required, what he's expecting is a great way to approach it. So it just takes some investigation on both sides to make sure that we have everything needed to submit a clean building permit application that gets through the system as quickly as possible. Yeah. And, and you also get to the urban rural timelines. And, and what I mean by that is, look, we've, we've got building permits pulled in as little as one week in a rural area. And you go into urban areas and sometimes it can take up to 12 to 18 months to get a building permit issued by a city or a municipality. So your timelines are all over the place depending on what county you're dealing with, what city you're dealing with. Some of of them are very helpful and will help you move right through the process. And, you know, others could care less what your timeline is and what your needs are. It's, It's when they're ready to issue it and when they feel like their due diligence has been completed. Yeah, one thing I'd like to add to the permitting process is that we often use Uh, an expediter. Permit expediters are generally local people who are familiar with that particular jurisdiction's requirements. You pay them a fee, they walk through the system, they they know the uh, building officials, they, they, they know what you're lacking in terms of your submission, and they can really help grease the skids to push a put permit through the process. That's a great point. After the building is designed and engineered, and the location is permitted. Next up is manufacturing, site excavation, and foundation installation, which uh, for many clients, I'm sure, 
is probably the most tangible step for seeing the project materially get built out before their very eyes. So for this step, what are some key areas that end users need to be focused on that they need to keep in mind as the project moves from the concept stage to an actual on-site construction project? And where do some of those responsibilities lie? I think the big piece of the process there is your your site prep, because again, um, what we're looking for with our method with our construction methodology is is speed. So we want to keep everything moving to the next step. We really want the building being built as the site's being prepped, because once the site has been prepped and the the uh, the permit has been issued, uh, we can go ahead and, and dig and pour our foundations. Uh, once the foundations have been dug and poured and the, and the concrete's cured properly, you know, we can set the, the building up for delivery once it comes offline and, and schedule it and keep everything, you know, moving forward. So from, from my standpoint, it's how quickly can the, the customer, the client get the, the site prepped and the foundations in. Uh, Paul, your thoughts? No, I, I agree with, with your comments, Jody. I, I would like to add that th this process is really what, you know, when we can manufacture the building, prep the site, and do the foundation installation simultaneously, that's really one of the advantages of modular construction, the, the, the primary advantage of modular construction compared to uh, stick builder conventional construction. With a project of this scale, I'm sure that uh, the clients that you work with have uh, a desire to oversee the process, and um, obviously picking a quality partner is going to ease a lot of those concerns, but when something is being built uh, from the ground up that you know is a major investment, I'm sure that they want to have some sort of oversight over what's going on. Uh, how do you communicate what responsibility the client should have? For you know, checking in on the project uh, and uh, being present as the construction process starts, versus uh, you know, letting the modular building partner assume those responsibilities. And how do you assuage any of those concerns as this begins? Well, generally, on most of our projects, we we have periodic progress meetings. Typically, every other week, we'll meet with the owner or meet with the customer on site have a meeting to discuss issues pertaining to the project, schedule issues, conflicts. You, you know, there are always things that you're trying to work through and make sure the project runs smoothly. Typically during that process, you'll, you'll also conduct a site walk with the customer to be able to inspect the work and answer any questions that he may have. And, as part of that um, progress meeting, there's always a, you know, sort of a, a review of the schedule and a two-week look ahead. So the, the customer understands what work should be happening in the next two weeks until we meet again. If things don't happen according to that, there's usually, you know, increased, increased communication that's needed to, to explain why things aren't happening or what's holding things up. So generally, that, that process works very well. Yeah, and, and, and I'll add that, you know, one of the things that we find is that you, you, you normally have uh, one person who signs the contract, the, the financial, 
financial person or uh, the person who has the, the level of approval to uh, uh, sign the contract and, and spend the money. And then a lot of times once the project is actually executed, there's somebody who is more of a construction type person with a, a building background or project management background. And there can be a disconnect from the person who signs the contract to the person who's actually on the ground and now responsible for the, uh, the owner to get that in. So it's, it's making sure that those people are on the same page. Uh, once again, it takes a, a lot of communication by Vanguard because we have different people who are also uh, involved in the project from uh, business development to project management to uh, administrative administration. So we have meetings prior to kicking off the job. Uh, to Paul's point, we then have meetings with the customer to make sure that they're on the same page. Uh, and again, it's, it's not only communicating things uh, verbally, but putting, putting it in writing and hopefully uh, communicating that multiple times to make sure that everybody has a clear understanding of um, what needs to happen, uh, when it needs to happen, how it needs to happen. So once again, the communication piece is just so key. All right, let's move on to step number four, which is going to be delivery of the project. So uh, as the main build wraps up and it's delivered on site, what's important to understand about this step? What should clients expect? And how do you all try to communicate and uh, walk through that process in the most efficient way possible? For the delivery, it requires, again, good communication. Typically, we're going to bring units on site, but they're not going to be set directly on the foundation right away. Typically, they're brought to a, a what we call a staging area somewhere on site that is large enough to handle the amount of units that are being uh, delivered for that particular project. So that requires a great deal of communication with our customer that he can uh, make space available to us, making sure that that doesn't uh, affect his his daily operations or, or minimizes impact to his operations and traffic flow around the site. Once we have an, a, an agreement where that'll be, we'll, we'll contact the customer and schedule delivery. We'll tell them exactly how many units are coming on what day and approximately what time they would be arriving. Oftentimes we are there to, well, all the time we're there to meet the drivers, show them where the units need to be parked and coordinate, help coordinate any uh, issues with traffic with, with the customer. Step five after the project is delivered is to set, seam, and uh, make sure we sort out utility connections as well. Can you all go over what that process looks like and if there are any, um, any speed bumps or choke points that often pop up in a project with that step that you all try to smooth over? Well, you know, I would say the, the biggest issue that we typically have after the buildings have been delivered is weather. And what I mean by that is that we don't want to uh, open these buildings up to wet weather. We have to make sure it's, it's dry. We have to make sure that we understand how long it's going to take us to go ahead and put each module over the footings and then uh, block it up, uh, anchor it down. Because once the, the buildings are together, 
we have to seam the roof and make them weather tight. So, uh, you know, again, it's, it's uh, hopefully you're, you're dealing with dry weather uh, during the, the setup process because, uh, again, it's going to speed the project up. Yeah, good point, Jody. What I'd like to add to that is what, what sometimes requires some communication and coordination between us and the customer are the utility connections. Sometimes Vanguard is doing the utility connections. We're bringing them to the site and we're connecting them to the building, in which case we control the whole process. In, in other instances, the, the customer has the responsibility to bring the utilities to the site and there's different connection points. Sometimes they'll be brought underneath the building and stubbed up. Other times they'll be brought to out just outside the building. So uh, there needs to be some coordination, you know, involving that, um, you know, just to make sure that the, the owner installing the utilities doesn't interfere with how we're going to set the building. So there's you know, oftentimes discussion early on in the project, uh, you know, during the, you know, during the manufacturing process about how that's going to occur. And again, our, our project managers are, you know, in uh, communication with the, the customer's uh, person in charge of construction to coordinate that. After utility connections are sorted out, step six is to power up, test those systems, and to turn on the water as well. Um, is this often a pretty straightforward step? Anything that clients should watch out for as we, uh, you know, test these utilities? Uh, Daniel, I think this is a pretty straightforward step, actually. Once power is on, we will have uh, typically an electrician go through, check the voltages, check the connections, and, and turn things on systematically. We'll turn a a panel on and then turn on individual breakers, testing the circuits and, and making sure that everything lights or, you know, fires up the way it's supposed to, and that there are no, um, you know, no issues with, uh, you know, with electrical connections. Uh, pretty much the same with the water, we'll turn it on in phases. One of the things in turning on the utilities, the, the water and the power is to make sure that we fill any hot water heaters with water first before we turn on power. If not, you'll burn out the element to the hot water heater. So it's always advisable to, as you're turning these systems on, say you're turning the electric on first to make sure that the water tank is filled. If not, we're gonna be replacing an element in the hot water heater. And um, as we turn the water utilities on again, it's done a little systematically. You know, you turn the water on, you check for leaks, and then you go and you look at every one of the devices or, or fixtures in the building to make sure that, the, you know, they, they operate properly. You have hot, cold water and there are no leaks anywhere, either on the water supply side or on the waste side. So it's just um, it, generally our people do that. Or if we have electrical and uh, plumbing trades on site, those folks will take care of that. And I'll just add, Daniel, that, you know, when we when we get the, the power hooked up to the building and the, the water hooked up to the building, it, it's it, it's exciting from a standpoint that uh, we're starting to see progress uh, on the site. The other piece with the, the electrical is that many times our buildings come in and they're unfinished shells on the interior. And now we have to put down floor coverings on site. 
or we have to mud tape and paint the walls, or uh, we have to go ahead and, and put the ceiling in. So uh, there may be other aesthetic components to the interior of the building that uh, we're left to finish out uh, per our contract. And, and, and again, once the, uh, the power's been hooked up on the building, it allows us to do that. Step seven of the process is more installation, but these installations are key to making the building more integrated into the site that was chosen, as well as making it uh, more functional and more accessible. That would be installation of decks, steps, ramps, sidewalks, any extra paving, striping, vinyl grading, landscaping, seating, right? Uh, some things that are functional, some things that are a little more aesthetic. Can y'all walk us through uh, what clients typically expect out of this step, how it typically flows, and uh, any potential areas that can be you know, difficult to wrap your head around as a client, whether that is order of the process or uh, functionally just how it fits in to the overall flow? Typically, at the age of a project, it's, as the project's winding down, there's, you know, intensity to finish. And, uh, you know, our, our folks on site are typically looking for ways to have as much overlap on many of these uh, work elements as we can. You know, how much of this can be done at the same time. Typically, there is a little bit of a process where, you know, decks and steps would probably go in before sidewalks. Typically, your sidewalks are run up to the decks and steps. Other areas of the site, the paving, striping, final grading, and seating, in some cases, that's done in advance of this, in advance of the deck steps and ramps going in. In other cases, it's done, you know, behind. It just, you know, really depends on the site and the, how the workflow is happening there and how the site is laid out really has a lot to do with that. But in any event, we're always striving at this point to push the work and get as much of it done as we can as soon as possible, you know. So, Daniel, uh, the, the, the thoughts that, that come to my head is, is we're getting closer to the, uh, the end of the project when you are pouring your sidewalks or you're putting your deck up or you're going ahead and putting a landscaping in, you, you see light at the end of the tunnel where uh, we can estimate when the final inspection can be tentatively scheduled. You know, normally the, the toughest piece of the project has been completed with the foundations and getting it set up and getting the power hooked up and, and the, uh, uh, the sewer and the water. You know, not to say that these pieces don't have their challenges, but, you know, normally it's, it's not as difficult to, to wrap this piece of the, uh, the project up. Uh, the other thing I'd like to add to this discussion is that usually most of the items in, in this section, deck steps, ramps, final grading, and things of that nature usually have some element of inspection by the local jurisdiction for that as well. So oftentimes that work is, is performed in a manner in which inspections can be expedited and bringing the work to a, to a completion quicker. All right, then we get to the final two steps of the process. Step eight is the final punch list. Go ahead and break down exactly what goes into this step. Uh, what is getting that final oversight and approval 
and why this step is important. Yeah, from, from the sales side of the house, I have nothing to say. We want to sell and let Paul and his group handle this piece. <laughs> Sounds great. Okay, when we get to the final punch list, this is typically a time when the customer walks through the building with Vanguard and we create a list of contract work that is not completed at that time, or if there's any deficient work that hasn't been performed satisfactorily to the client or to the customer, then we we create a list. Typically, it's, it's a one-time list that the customer signs, and we and Vanguard works on completing those items, finishing the, the uncompleted contract work, and making repairs to any any systems or, or things that are damaged or need to be repaired. And typically that work is done uh, after the customer takes occupancy of the building. Uh, we schedule a time when we can come in where we won't interrupt the, the, the customer's use of the building and we complete those items. Once we're complete those items, we, we have another walkthrough with the customer to confirm their satisfaction that the work is completed as it should be or completed in accordance with our contract. And then we get to our final step, which is occupancy of the building. So at this point, we're finally getting the end users and clients into their project. What should they be expecting when they see the structure is complete? Uh, will they, uh, is there anything that they need to keep an eye out for or uh, expectations that they should or shouldn't have about what the final building is going to look like and what it looks like to actually get workers, employees, or guests in through the building? Well, at this point, the, the customer should have a, a pretty good understanding of the project. He'll have been involved in various walkthroughs during the construction process. He'll, he'll have been, uh, you know, had access to the building. So there really shouldn't be any surprises on his end in terms of what the building looks like. He will have had, you know, multiple chances to see the building. Uh, oftentimes, occupancy is dependent on the local building department or building inspector certifying that, that the building has met code. All work, according to the drawings, has been completed and they will issue a certificate of occupancy to the customer for the building. At that point, um, they can occupy the building legally. Uh, oftentimes there is a, an intermediate step involved where the building department will allow a temporary certificate of occupancy. Maybe there's some, some things pertaining to the site that aren't quite finished, but it's not gonna, it's not gonna affect the ability to occupy the building in a safe manner. And oftentimes the local inspectors will work with the work with the customer to um, issue a temporary certificate of occupancy. Yeah, and, and what we're really hoping at this stage is that uh, we've done everything that we said we were going to do. We've met the the customer's expectations. They are in the building when they thought they were going to be in the building. And the uh, the biggest thing is is that you know we certainly want to make sure that. Um, it is being utilized how they thought it would be and is working well for them because many times this is a happy customer. They're going to refer us to somebody else. Uh, if they need another building, they're going to call us again. So it's very important for us to make sure that uh, our, our, our customers are more than just satisfied. Uh, we want them to 
you know, actively let other people know how happy they are about the project, how happy they are about the decision to move forward with a modular building versus uh, conventional site-built construction. So there's a lot of things that we have to do to ensure that the the customer journey throughout the, the entire process has been a positive one and that if anything came up along the way uh, that they weren't satisfied with, we got it resolved uh, in a timely manner uh, where they were happy with it. All right, and that gets us through the main nine steps of putting together a modular building project and exactly what the construction process looks like. So for our final thought here on the podcast, Jody, Paul, I want to get your thoughts on this. What makes a partner like Vanguard critical to achieving all of these steps in the most efficient way possible? So, so there's a number of things. You know, number one is, is experience. You can have experience based on years, but you also have to have experience based on um, knowing uh, what the right things are to do through the process, the right steps to take, communicating things again to uh, your customer to make sure that there's no surprises. The other piece of it is they want to know that they're entering into an agreement with a company who has the financial wherewithal to see the project through. Very important today's day and age. Uh, you have buying groups out there who are making decisions to lease a building for the next five years that could be a 10,000 square foot building or uh, could be a, a $2 million modular building project. They uh, have a job to do and fulfill for their organization and they want to make sure that whoever they're entering into a contract with is going to be able to deliver on that so that they don't have any egg on their face. So we take our, our commitment very seriously uh, to ensuring that the customer understands fully what the process is going to be, uh, set the expectations, and then you know, deliver. Because once again, if we do not do a good job, they're not going to recommend us to somebody else. They're not going to do business with us again. And it's very important that we, uh, we build a good relationship. Yeah, good points, Jody. What I'd like to add to that is that I think one of the strengths that Vanguard brings to the table is great communication throughout the process. We are going to, obviously, on the front end, on the sales side, there's lots of communication, but once it gets handed over to our ops team, that communication continues. We want to keep our customers informed, let them know what they need to do. Uh, maybe there's some things they haven't thought about, but we'll talk about that in the early planning of the project to make sure that customer responsibilities are being given attention to and being handled in a timely manner that'll keep the project on track. Uh, communication is key through the process and uh, and, and our teams are, are very experienced uh, in, in delivering uh, good results, successful outcomes to projects. And Jody, Paul, that does it for our conversation today on Built Modular. Again, we've been chatting with Jody Werner, Senior Vice President of Sales, and Paul Lubertine, Director of Construction and Contract Services with Vanguard Modular. Thank you both so much for joining us and giving us this really detailed walkthrough of the construction process for a modular building and why Vanguard helps make the process a little smoother. If folks want to find out more about your solutions and services or potentially get in touch with any questions, how can they do so? Very simple. 
they can go to our website. It's www.vanguardmodular.com. We have a lot of uh, relevant information on commercial modular construction there, leasing, uh, financing, uh, and then, of course, the process that we have just gone through on a step-by-step uh, so that they get a better understanding of what they're getting into. Also, they could reach us toll-free at one 438 8627. Jody, Paul, thanks again and looking forward to chatting again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And thank you everyone for listening to today's episode of Built Modular, a Vanguard Modular podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure that you're subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and make sure you're going to our website, vanguardmodular.com. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you next time.